This forms part of a series we've been going through called It Is Finished. And if it's your first time here during the series, don't worry, they're not kind of, you don't need the background of the, of the, of the last uh, messages to get there. But we've been going through a series called It Is Finished. And, and those words, It Is Finished, come from Jesus' last words on the cross that we can read in John chapter 19. Um, so in John chapter 19, it says... After Jesus' trial and after he's been accused of, of um, accused falsely by the, the Jewish people, the religious establishment at the time, it says, finally Pilate, who's the Roman uh, governor in Jerusalem, it says, finally Pilate handed him over them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull. There they crucified him and with him two others. One on each side, Jesus in the middle. And so a few verses later, it says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And so this is John's recollection of Jesus' final moments on the cross. It's John's recollection of the death of Jesus. And, and from the gospel accounts, we understand that John was the only one of Jesus' 12 disciples who, who stuck around and was actually there present at the death of Jesus on the cross. The rest of them fled in fear that they would be crucified beside him. And so the death of Jesus, as recorded here, stands at the heart of the Christian gospel. The cross, as we've talked about, is the symbol of our faith and the most recognized uh, symbol of Christianity for those who aren't a part of it. And so the cross is something that we're mindful of every day, but it's something that we reflect upon, especially today, in a sense, the anniversary of Jesus' death. And we understand Jesus' death to not just be a death, to not just be uh, another sad death, another person who perhaps died for a good cause. We could, we could read the final moments of anybody throughout history who has passed away, but we don't remember them necessarily 2,000 years later and celebrate them especially on a day and call that day Good Friday. And so the reason that we're celebrating Jesus' death today is because we understand it to be more than just a death. We understand it to be a sacrifice. As David prayed that, that Jesus could have come down from the cross at any moment. He had the power, it says in the Bible, to call on a thousand legions of angels to deliver him from his death. But, but he gave himself up willingly. It says with that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Last week we talked about he became obedient to death. And so we understand Jesus' death is not just a death but a sacrifice. And in fact we understand it as the ultimate sacrifice. And, and, and so the ultimate sacrifice has become this colloquial phrase for anyone that dies for a good cause. That We say that that person made the ultimate sacrifice for their cause because there's nothing else or nothing more that we can give than our own lives. And so it's become this phrase, the ultimate sacrifice means that someone died for something. But I want to suggest to us this morning that Jesus' sacrifice is the ultimate sacrifice for more than the reason that he gave his life for it. It's more than just a death 
that was dying for a good cause. Jesus' death is the ultimate sacrifice for a much deeper reason than that. And so if you've got your Bibles with you or got an app on your phone or or got something you can look on, I encourage you to get that out. We're going to have the words on the screen so you don't need to fear, but it's good if possible to look at the words in front of you. And so I'm going to look at Hebrews chapter 9 and and, and some of chapter 10, but the, the first thing I want to say about Jesus' death this morning, about it being the ultimate sacrifice, is that it's the ultimate sacrifice because Jesus' death has completely dealt with sin. Jesus' death isn't just a death for a good cause, it's the ultimate sacrifice because his death has completely dealt with sin. And so in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 25 and 26, the writer of Hebrews says this. It says, Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way that the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ, that's Jesus, would have had to suffer many times since the creation of this world. But he appeared once for all at the culmination of all of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying that, that under the, the Jewish system of sacrifices in the temple or the tabernacle before that, the high priest had to offer, offer sacrifices again and again and again to deal with the problem of sin. That, that under that sacrificial system, the, the problem of sin was never fully dealt with because throughout the year, again and again, they had to offer sacrifices for, for cleansing and atonement. And then on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur in Hebrew, they, they made a special sacrifice for atoning for the nation of Israel's sins and the high priest, that was the only time that they're allowed to enter through the curtain into the Holy of Holies that represented God's presence. And it had to be done over and over and over. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus' sacrifice is not like that. It's the ultimate sacrifice because it has done away with sin. It has completely dealt with the issue of sin. Where the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin because they are imperfect sacrifice, Jesus' ultimate sacrifice has done away with sin. It says there that he, he appeared once for all. Jesus came once, but it was for all. He, his sacrifice is sufficient for me, it's sufficient for you, it's sufficient for every single person who believes in him. His sacrifice has completely dealt with the problem of sin and it has also completely dealt with the problem of everybody's sin. In this in the original Greek language that the writer of Hebrew used to, to write this letter to uh, mostly Jewish, Jewish believers, the, the word that we translate do away with is uh, athetason. And if we could translate that more literally, it would be an annulment, a cancellation or no longer in effect. And so Jesus doing away with sin is an annulment of our sin. It's a cancelling of our sin. It's a a rendering our sin without effect. Jesus has done away with our sin. We can understand it in a sense of, not that it's a happy story, but, but, but in terms of marriage, there is a difference between an annulled marriage and a divorce. 
It's in a divorce, in the sadness of that marriage breakdown, it acknowledges that a marriage existed that has now come to an end. And so there's a process in that divorce of tying off the loose ends, of, of deciding what property goes where and what to do with the children and, and let me encourage you to invest into your marriages um, if, if you're married to, to hopefully not see that pain in your life. But, but in a divorce, the, the, the existence of a marriage is acknowledged and it has simply come to an end. An annulment is different. An annulment completely erases the marriage and declares that it never existed. If a marriage is annulled, it's a declaration that a marriage never technically existed. There is no loose ends to tie off because it never was. And so using a, a relationship end as an example is a sad story, but, but it's a happy story for us because Jesus has made our sins as if they never were. He has annulled them. He has cancelled them. He has rendered them to no longer have any effect for us through his sacrifice on the cross. And so because of Jesus' ultimate sacrifice, we now live, though we still have the capacity for sin, though we will still sin, uh, though we should try not to, though we will still sin in our future life, Jesus has rendered our sin without effect. It's as if our sin never existed. And so Jesus' death has done away completely with the problem of sin and, and because of that, Jesus' death has done away with sacrifice for sin. Jesus' death has done away with sacrifice for sin. In the next chapter, in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 14, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 14 to uh, 18 the writer of Hebrews says this, he says, For by one sacrifice he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies about this. And first he says, and this is recording, quoting some Old Testament scripture, says, first he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, The sins... And lawless acts I will remember no more. And when these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. And so the writer of Hebrews describes this, this act which was foretold in the Old Testament by, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we believe. He says that that has happened in Jesus, that, that we now, this side of Jesus' sacrifice, live in a time when God says, I'll remember your sins no more. And the writer of Hebrews encourages us that that means that sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. And so the Jewish system of temple sacrifice is no longer necessary. The high priest no longer needs to enter the Holy of Holies to offer up blood of animals. And this might be an obvious kind of... Uh, extrapolation from Jesus' death for us, that if Jesus' death is the ultimate sacrifice, then we don't need a temple anymore in which we offer sacrifice. But perhaps the less obvious application for us is, is that Jesus' death has done away with every human effort to atone for our sins. 
Jesus' death has done away with every human effort to make ourselves perfect. Jesus' death has done away with the need for any human effort to make ourselves acceptable to God. Jesus' death has done away with any effort to wash away our imperfections. Jesus' death has done away with human effort to make our relationship with God okay again. Because through the sacrifice of Jesus, our effort is no longer necessary. Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary because Jesus has offered up the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus has made us perfect. And so we think about a more happy story of marriage uh, as an example now, I'm uh, in, in October going to celebrate 10 years of marriage to my wonderful, amazing, beautiful, can't, couldn't do life without her wife, Christy. Um, so in a relationship, we know we need to keep investing into that and, and I need to love Christy um, to see it be more than 10 years. But, but the thing is, we don't need to have another marriage ceremony. Like people sometimes renew their vows and that's lovely and beautiful, but, but it's not actually a legal marriage ceremony. We don't need another legal marriage ceremony. I don't need to go to the registry of birth, deaths and marriages and, and sign more paperwork. I don't need another marriage certificate. I don't need to propose again to Christy because we're married. I have a piece of paper uh, uh, it's a bit more attractive than a, than a regular contract, but it's a sense, a contract written in paper that says, I am married to Christy. It's a covenant that we are married together. And so the point I'm making is, we don't need to do that again because it's done. It's not necessary for me to continue to, to marry Christy, to be married to her, yes, but it's no longer necessary for me to have marriage ceremony after marriage ceremony. And so if, if we're trying to atone for our sins, if we're trying to sacrifice for sins, if we're trying to make up for our sins, if we're trying to be perfect, if we're trying to restore our relationship with God through our own effort, it's like going to the altar again and again and, and trying to be married again and again because we just don't feel like the first marriage really cut it. We just don't feel like the first time we signed the paperwork really cut it and so we keep going back. If we keep trying to atone for sin, it's as silly as having a wedding every week. Because Jesus offered the ultimate sacrifice that made all other sacrifice for sin unnecessary. Jesus has written the covenant with us on our hearts and our minds. It says he's, he's written his law, he's made a covenant and written his law on our hearts and our minds. Our, our hearts and our minds, if we allow the Holy Spirit to testify to us, testify to us that this is done. We have been made perfect. And so in the Old Testament, there were two kinds of sacrifice. There, there were you know, hundreds and thousands of times. <laughs> types of sacrifice but we could divide them into two broad categories the sacrifice that was offered to atone for sin and the sacrifice that was offered simply out of free will to worship God and so Jesus has done away with the sacrifice for sin through offering the ultimate sacrifice of himself and so the only sacrifice that remains for us is the thanksgiving sacrifice, the free will sacrifice, the, the offering of praise, as it says in a few chapters' time in the 
uh, the, the book of Hebrews, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. We can forget about the sacrifice for sin because Jesus has done that for us. Jesus' death on the cross is the ultimate sacrifice. He has done away with sin and he has done away with the need for us to sacrifice for sin. And then uh, the question remains, how should we respond? And so very quickly, the writer of Hebrews um, does what every preacher loves and he gives you the application. And so in, the, in, in Hebrews chapter 10 verses uh, 19 to 25 the writer of Hebrews gives us four responses to this, this uh, revelation that Jesus' death has done away with sin and that Jesus' death has done away with the need for us to sacrifice for sin. And, and the first of these is, is that we need to draw near to God or we're encouraged to draw near to God. He says in 19 to 21, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, and so there was a curtain that separated all people from the holy place that represented God's presence. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus, through his body, has made a way through into the holy of holies by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from our guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And, and so the, the, the center of that is the application, the first point of application that the writer of Hebrews would have us embrace as a, a, a response to the cross is that we draw near to God. In doing away with sin, Jesus has made it possible for us to have an intimate, near relationship with God. And so we respond to the cross by drawing near to God. We respond to the cross by holding to the hope of salvation. He goes on to say in the next verse, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we pro profess, for he who promised is faithful. And so we draw near to God and we hold unswervingly to the hope of our salvation. In chapter 9 it says, He'll come again, but this time not to offer sacrifice for sin, but to bring the salvation of those who are waiting for Him. And so we respond to the cross by holding without wavering, without swerving to the hope of salvation that Jesus will return, that we will be saved. We respond to the cross by spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. And so in verse 24 it says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That we, in remembrance of the cross, encourage our brothers and sisters in faith to continue to love. Uh, as we have said, we haven't said it for a while, but that we are loved by Jesus, that we're sent by Jesus to love like Jesus. And, and so as followers of Jesus, in remembrance of the cross, we spur one another on to love. When we spur one another on towards doing good deeds, to be God's hands and feet, to be his representatives in this world. And finally, we remember the cross, we respond to the cross by not giving up meeting together. 
In verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews says, Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we draw near to God. We hold to the hope of salvation. We spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And we don't give up the simple act of meeting together as brothers and sisters of Christ, of sharing in the bread and the cup in remembrance of his death, in celebrating in song and encouraging one another to keep going, in rejoicing in what has been accomplished through Jesus on the cross and remembering that today's Friday, that we remember the day that Jesus was crucified and laid in a tomb, but we know that Sunday is coming. So we gather here every Sunday in remembrance that Jesus is alive. Um, And especially on this coming Sunday, as we remember the anniversary of that day that changed everything forever. Um, So as we remember the cross and as we look forward to the resurrection this morning, let us, uh, in one final act, uh, before we have some hot cross buns together, uh, let us remember the cross through singing songs of praise to him who gave his life for us, through him who offered the ultimate sacrifice for us. So I'm going to pray and then encourage you to stand and rejoice. So we thank you, Jesus, that you willingly became the ultimate sacrifice for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you have annulled, you have cancelled, you have done away with the effect of our sin. We thank you, Jesus, that you have rendered all sacrifice for sin now unnecessary. And so I pray that by your Spirit you would free us from guilt and shame that drives us to try and atone in our own strength. I pray that we would trust in you and you alone for our perfection and our righteousness and our acceptance by you. And Father, let us draw near to you. Let us hold unswervingly to the faith that you have, uh, the salvation, the hope that you promise us. Father, let us be encouragers, spur us on of one another towards love and good deeds and let us not give up the simple act of meeting together to praise you. And so we want to do that now. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.